Hello and welcome to the third episode of Sticks in the Six. I'm here with Peter Barracchini and Peter, we've had a pretty good start after the first couple episodes here. Very good start. I am honestly very surprised at the response, the views and everything that has been going on so far. And as I said from the beginning, like I was really excited about this journey, three, uh, well, two episodes in. Let's, I've said it before, I'll say it again, let's keep it going. Uh, this has been really, really a uh, positive experience for both of us, and I'm just, I'm excited to continue on right now. So for those of you that don't know, I'm here, uh, Andrew Forbes here with Peter, uh, both of us write for the Hockey Writers. Um, we just wanted to get uh, something started here with, with a podcast, and uh, so far, so good. Uh, we've uh, we've started off really well. Um, we're in our third episode, as I mentioned. And you know what's new? What's new in Toronto, Peter? Um, I mean, really can't do much right now considering the pandemic. Um, I, I, me, I'm just very you know not necessarily paranoid, but I'm very cautious about what I'm doing. So I'm not doing a whole lot right now. Um. I went to the dentist for the first time in over a year, so that's pretty exciting. What's the what's that like going to a you know, you're sitting there with mouth open during a pandemic? Honestly, the the steps that they took uh, obviously I knew my I've known my dentist for quite some time and the practice that he's at. Um so seeing how they took the necessary steps, you can't go in until they allow you in. They've locked the door. Can't go in until you say, yeah, come on in. Socially distance the whole entire lobby. There's only three chairs in there, I believe, where, you know, you're six feet apart. And the fact that they have their own sanitizing stations, gowns, masks, face shields, everything. That was the first time I felt, you know, really comfortable going out in public and no better place to be at than at like you know doctor's office dentist any type of like medical field because you know they're going to take the appropriate steps yeah i feel like we're kind of uh experiencing what the norm is going to be for at least the next little while for um sure. in terms of you know just being indoors at any any kind of place and uh it's definitely going to be a different world for the next little while oh for sure and until you know any type of like medical help comes along vaccine therapeutics whatever it is what it is but I, I i will say this this time off or like you know these past six months i've done a lot of things that i didn't think i would do like obviously you know writing aside i did a lot of writing but i didn't even eat any takeout food for six whole months and i was kind of shocked that i was able to accomplish that I don't know, like, if I lost any weight because I still ate a ton, but, you know, <laughs> baby steps, you know? Oh, yeah. I think, you know what, honestly, I think the uh, first time we had takeout was probably just the other day my wife and I ordered it in. And, man, it's amazing how much your body doesn't take it after not having it for so long. Oh, for sure. 
I mean, I can't wait. Well, I, actually, now that you said that, I probably don't want to have take on Elf. The perception is not going to be that good. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyways, getting into the hockey world, uh, we definitely have to start this episode off with uh, some some sad news. Obviously, mm-hmm. we only record once a week, so um, we tweeted it out uh, when it happened. Um, but the hockey world lost a legend and uh, a Hall of Famer in Dale Howardchuck, who passed away at the age of 57 uh, following his second bout with uh, with cancer. Um, obviously, a hard fought battle, and uh, you know, a guy who who meant so much to the hockey world. He was coaching in the O. Um, you know, like I said, a Hall of Famer, 1,400 points in uh, j- just under 1,200 games. Uh, this guy really, really meant a lot to, to a lot of people in the hockey world, and and uh, it's a disappointing loss um, for 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 you know us as hockey fans and and uh, those involved in in you know his teams and and that that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, I mean, again, a warrior on the field. I mean, field on the ice, like a real battler on the ice. And, you know, he was a real fighter throughout this whole entire thing. I mean, he fought to the very end. And it's it's really, on a personal note, it's very similar to how my aunt died from cancer. Um, it was basically the same battle like Dale's, you know, fought hard during the first bout seemed okay came back a second time and it just took its toll and this disease holds no no boundaries whatsoever it attacks and it hurts everybody so um it's it's difficult to say the least because again he was gone way too soon i mean like you said 1200 games 20th all time in points 38th in goals 21st in assists he was like He's the face of the Jets. Yeah, and he started uh, off. Yeah, for those who didn't uh, didn't see it, his son Eric Howardchuk tweeted out on uh, the 18th after an incredibly brave and difficult battle with cancer. Our dad has passed away. My family is so proud of him and the way he fought. And uh, you know, like you can't you can't. This guy went down fighting just the way he did. Mm-hmm. You know, during his career, he 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 put up such great numbers and and uh you know from from everything i've read everything i've heard um i i unfortunately never met the guy but uh from from what i've heard and read he's uh he's an incredible person and um seemed like he was a mentor for the players that played under him in the in the ohl and you know that's going to be a hard loss for there there's guys in the nhl's right in, in the nhl right now that uh that played for him in the o and um you know a lot of them even had had really kind words to say for him so big loss for the hockey world definitely i mean you just mentioned some of the players that were being coached by him are in the nhl right now five 40 win seasons in nine seasons as the colts head coach i mean you like you always question about like when players become coaches or whatever this guy he was doing his best to prepare the youth for the nhl today and he did a phenomenal job and that's why it's very difficult because we lost a great player, we lost a great mentor, we lost a great human being, and it's just sad to see another, you know, life gone too soon. Agreed. Um, on top of that, we have some news of a goaltender who left the bubble. Um, mm-hmm. Tukarask 
decided uh, it was time for him to leave. Um, all reports showing that uh, he there was a medical emergency with his daughter. Uh, he left the bubble, left the team, decided to go home, be with his family. Um, at the time, not a lot was known as to why he was doing it. But he took a lot of criticisms from a lot of different people, including Dustin Penner, uh, Brandon Prust, and Mike Milbury. Yeah. And I'll just read you uh, the quote from Milbury here. Um, Nobody simply opted to leave the bubble just because they didn't want to be here and they didn't need and and they needed to be with their family. I wouldn't have done it. The rest of the league league's players have not done it. Um, it's just for me you don't know what's going on in somebody's life. So and I, say what you will about Milbury. I mean, he's, he's made headlines once again with his comments about women in sports and women in the bubble. Um, yep. But you, you, to comment on somebody's decision um, to leave, to be with family, regardless of whether there was a medical emergency or not, this is a guy who obviously wanted to be around the, around his family Obviously loves to be with his teammates as well, but, you know, at, at a certain point, family comes first. And um, I just I, I just think the criticism was ill-placed by all three of those guys that that I mentioned uh, when it comes to, to Garask. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, Milbury is saying no other player has done it. I mean, a bunch of other players opted out way before the bubble. Even even before the season even started, I mean Stevie Camper, who's a defenseman for the Bruins, he opted out to be with his family. I mean, what's so different about doing it either beforehand or during the bubble makes it doesn't make any sense to me at all. I mean, if you have to like criticize a guy for his decision about being there for his family, especially his daughter. I mean, this is just a nice way of me saying it, but that's just an awful perspective to have. And, like, I I don't want to go too far because, you know, we want to be a family-friendly podcast and everything like that. But it's just ignorant to just run your mouth. Instead of just saying what you said, show some compassion and respect or some sort of empathy to sympathize with the player and be like, hey, you know, yeah, I'm may not agree with the maybe decision to leave, but hey, if it's the, for this reason, family is always first, right? If it was just like Rask opting out like playing anymore, which is basically, I think some of the fans' perspective, they were saying that maybe his post-game comment after one of the games be like, oh, you know, it's difficult without, you know, being the fans there. It just seems like an exhibition game or whatever. I could understand that, but this was an, this was an emergency for, with his family. You know, had nothing to do with him being safe in the bubble and not wanting him to be there. I mean, and like you said, people were jumping down a throat before ahead of time. I mean, I don't have any kids, but if one of my like if my son or daughter was like in need of medical assistance and I was in a bubble playing the game, playing the, like the game that I love, that's my career. I'm sorry, I'm putting them first. I mean, I don't know what it's like to be in his spot right now, but I can empathize and be like, Hey, I would do the same thing. I'll tell, I'll tell you from experience. And my son's been in the hospital twice now. He's yes. just over three months old. And, um, you know, it's, it's something that you, you never want to experience. So, I mean, for, you want to be there by, by their, by their side, a hundred percent of the way. 
Um, and I think just, you know, to criticize a player for leaving before you know the full story. And that was the problem. I think everyone yeah. sent out their criticisms well before they knew what was going on. And sure. to do that before you know what the real story is, I mean, that's just, it's irresponsible in my, in my opinion. And I think we've seen that a lot from Milbury, especially over the, over the years mm-hmm. is a lot of irresponsibility. And, you know, I, I, it's just, it just adds to the list of reasons of why he, in my opinion, he should not be a commentator or, or what have you in the hockey world. No, definitely. And we saw yesterday that, you know, he has left the bubble. He is not part of the NBC broadcast in Toronto. So there you go, especially with his comments that he made towards women. You're starting to see the side that, you know what, maybe he's not being a commentator right now. If he keeps crossing the line and saying comments, that shouldn't be said. Yeah, hundred percent. And I don't want to. I don't want to dwell on this too much. Um, obviously, Tuca left for for a good reason, and mm-hmm. um, you know, hopefully, his daughter's doing well, his family's doing well, and and, and mentally, and mentally, hopefully, he's doing well. Um, but we'll we'll jump off of this for for now. Too much yeah. bad news. Um, I guess this is sort of bad news for us, but good news for Bob McKenzie, a legend in terms yep. of what we do, um, has officially hung him up. Uh, I guess we don't hang up the skates as, as writers. We hang up the notepads and, um, you know, <laughs> the ultimate insider, uh, has decided to call it, uh, call it a career and, and, uh, you know, spend more time at the cottage and, and, and drinking margaritas or whatever he does. Um, but definitely uh, a big loss in terms of what, uh, what we do for, you know, our business. And, um, I, you know, I think, He's he's still going to be around a lot for TSN. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he noted that he'd be around for, you know, uh, the draft, uh, the draft show and, and trade center and all that kind of stuff. So it'll be good to still have him around, but uh, definitely a guy that you um, <clears throat> you you don't uh, you don't take lightly when when he he has something to say. Oh no, I mean you just put it in a, like you just said it perfectly right there. You always, whenever Bob McKenzie is on, you always listen to him. And growing up, before I even decided I wanted to get into, like, this industry, every single time that Bob McKenzie spoke, I wanted to be him. The way that he got all the facts, the way he articulated everything, the way he, like, got all the facts before anybody else shows that he was a real pro in this industry. And, like you said, I mean... Yeah, he's probably at the age now where he's got to decide, you know what, maybe it is time to call it quits and enjoy the margaritas. This is Bobby Margarita likes to always enjoy when he's up at his cottage. But I'm he was one of the reasons why I got into this industry. And if it wasn't for him, I don't know what I would probably be doing. But Bob, if you're listening, you are at you are the reason I am at right now, basically. And I had the opportunity to talk to him when I was at the world junior showcase in Oakville and he was right there standing in the corner. I was soft at a waiting for like, you know, the next player to come into the media scrum. And I just went over and I just introduced myself and I'm like, Bob, hi, you know, Peter hockey Raiders. It's a real uh, thrill to meet you right now. Cause I, I was uh, talking with a lot of the people from TSN and other media outlets there. But I just basically said, you know what? 
I just wanted to thank you for everything you've done. You're the reason why I'm at where I am right now. And he was very nice, very approachable, very friendly. And I will never forget that conversation with him. And I just wish him nothing but the best of luck in his retirement. There you go. And um, moving on from that, uh, you know, we had uh, our first... I guess first suspension of this of the uh, restart in uh, Matt Niskanen Matt Niskanen getting one game uh, didn't really impact the Flyers as we saw, um, but what a hit on on Brandon Gallagher and and definitely uh, definitely raised the bar in terms of the rivalry between those two teams and um, mm-hmm. obviously we the news came out that Brandon Gallagher is going to need uh, need surgery to repair a broken jaw and. Um, you know, it's always dangerous coming with, with with your stick up higher, especially on a smaller player like that. And for sure, um, you know, Ale Vignon had his uh, his comments that he decided to make ab- about Gallagher, and and again, I'll I'll just read those off real quick here. At the end of the day, I can only state the facts, and the fact was that Gallagher got up and his mouth didn't shut up for the for at least five minutes to the referees, the linesmen, and to our bench. I don't know if he aggravated his injury through force of speaking to us and the officials. I'm not a doctor. I can't say. So obviously, I mean, Vigneault's questioning the broken jaw. Um, you know, Kirk Muller came out and and kind of defended his player and, and said, you know, he'll be eating his meals through a straw for the next little while. Um, but obviously, you know, it's such a dangerous hit when you get the the stick up and, and almost use it as a weapon. But we've seen so much cross-checking in these playoffs so far. And I think this was just kind of the breaking point where, you know, Niskanen came in hard, got his stick up. And uh, when you get it up that high, it's going to ride up. Those shoulder pads aren't made to protect anything. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if you've ever played lacrosse. I played lacrosse back uh, when I was younger. And when you're allowed to cross check in the game, obviously, and when you would hit somebody in the shoulder, it would ride up their shoulder, yeah. their, their shoulder guards. So for me, I mean, I think the intent was there from Niskanen. I think they they got it right in, in suspending him, but I, I don't think it was enough. I know we're talking about playoffs. I know one playoff game equals two regular season games. I know the unwritten rule. But man, I think it should have been two games at least. Um, teach these guys lessons. If you want them to learn from their mistakes, the only way to do that is to say, "Hey, look, we're going to give you more than a slap on the wrist. You're sitting out for two games, and if your team loses, you know, tough, tough luck." First of all, I did not play lacrosse growing up. Um, it was bad enough that I was getting hacked on the leg with shin pads on the ice. I did not want to get a metal beam on, you know, <laughs> my arm leg without any protection whatsoever. Yeah. Um, two, Vigneault's comments were just, again, you know, ignorant and all that. It, when the player gets injured, there's probably some adrenaline going through the body and it's like it takes time to assess where, you know, oh, is this what really happened to, like, my leg, head, whatever? I think, you know, the adrenaline was kicking in with Gallagher saying that, hey, what the heck? I was that not called? Stick came up into my face. He had a broken jaw until after the fact, right? And in terms of, like, the actual suspension itself, this is not the first time that Niskanen did the same play or did this play 
did the exact same thing to Cindy Crosby in 2017. Got five in a game for cross-checking. No suspension for that. And I don't want to bring up Nasir Kadri again because we talked enough about him the last few episodes. But did the same thing last year on Jake DeBrusque. This is the whole entire series. I mean, granted, Kadri had disciplinary history before then, but there is no consistency with these calls at any point, whether it's the regular season or playoffs, and it's really annoying. And this is where we talked about in our first episode with, like, calls that the officials make when with regards to offsides, goalie interference, um, penalties. There needs to be some consistency going forward. And I'm not saying that one one party is guilty or one is innocent. Both were dirty plays from both Kadri and Niskan inside. But one shouldn't get supplementary discipline when the other didn't for doing the same thing. And it's getting to the point now where it's like one game for that and Kadri misses the whole entire series against Boston. Yeah, that I think, to me just pisses me right off. Yeah, I think we need an upheaval in terms of... Um in terms of the department of player safety. And I think, I think it was uh, Berkey who said it on, on Sportsnet. Um, you know, it's, it, you got to hold these guys accountable. If you don't mm-hmm. hold them accountable, you're going to be running into the same problems with the same people. And I think that's what happened the first time around with Kadri. You yeah. know what? They, he was suspended the first time against Boston. Maybe <clears throat> should have gotten a longer suspension to learn his lesson. Cause the way that he drove in, drove, um, um, what's his face into the boards. Um, like, and then he comes back the next next playoffs and he's doing it again. Yeah. So I think to to really set the tone for these guys, you need to hold them accountable because otherwise the wires are going to continue to cross and they're going to continue sure. to do create the same problems in the games. Don't get me wrong, I love seeing the rivalry, but the rivalry can happen with playing a clean physical game. Absolutely. You lay yeah. those big hits, you're going to create a rivalry. You don't need to go out there and and, and start cross checking people in the face. Um, you know slashing people, all that kind of stuff. Leave that out of the game. There's no place in the game for that kind of stuff. And I think Niskanen needed to get two, maybe even three games yeah. at this point and just teach him a lesson. Say, look, yeah, this is playoffs. You know what? On a regular season game, we give you six games. So now we're going to give you three. One game's not going to do him anything. Yeah, I mean, that's just like a slap on the wrist, you know? One game in the playoffs, that's nothing. And I'm starting to like contemplate right now just get rid of the notion of a player having a suspension history. And I say that in air quotes with history, because if it's a suspendable play, it's a suspendable play. But I don't care if you're Nathan McKinnon and you do the exact same thing that Matt Niskanen did. Yeah. Three games. You yeah. know, I don't care if you're Sidney Crosby, Ovechkin. Hell, I'll even throw Austin Matthews in there. If Even if you're a star player and you do what, you know, other players have done in the past, you're not getting away with it. I mean, just get rid of the suspension history and be like, oh, you didn't do this before? Okay, you know, we'll fine you. Okay, you got a fine last time, we'll give you a one-game suspension. Get rid of it, man. It's just so annoying. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think, uh, you know, Philly would have done just fine without Niskanen, to be honest. Um, so I, I don't think it would have hurt the team in the long run, but you need to teach these guys lessons. Otherwise, you're going to be running into the same problems down the road. Definitely. Simple as that. Um, USHL announced that their start date will be November 6th. What 
is going on with all these start dates? Uh, we are all over the place. We got the OHL starting in December. We have the QMJHL starting in October. We have the USHL starting in November. I mean, I love I love that hockey starting back up early um, or on time. I guess we should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, that said, I mean, I'm starting to lose count of what what league is starting when. It's just it, it seems like every day yeah. we get a different start date from a different league, and I just it would have been so much better for them to just sit down, figure out a start date, uh, kind of a unis- unison start date with with each league and, and kind of go from there. But um, anyways, good news for the USHL, I guess. Again, details are, are still being figured out, whether they're going to have fans in the seats or not. Um, obviously, being south of the border, mm-hmm. it's going to be a little bit different than, say, the QMJHL. Um, but uh, good news for them that they're going to be coming back and uh, good news for all the players there as well. No, definitely. And they, obviously, we I don't know a whole lot about their plan because I saw on their website that they do have a you know, plan in place following state and federal protocols. Um, it seems like they have, if they have something in place, go for it. But you just got to be extra cautious right now because sports in the U.S. right now, aside from basketball, it's getting a little out of hand, especially with the MLB, how teams are still players are still being uh testing positive with coronavirus they're um, canceling they're canceling games left right and center with the yeah, MLB right and now that's, it's, it's and insane that's, that's the problem it's just really difficult to see like you honestly they were the ones who rushed it from the beginning they were out of all the sports teams MLB did a poor job from the beginning colleges are reopening up they're starting to do like you know college football even then that's risky you know, you, college football in the States gets like, what, 50,000 spectators for just a college game? That's a big risk to take if you're bringing in fans or if you're going to, like, you know, limit, uh, set a limit for uh, fans attending the stadium, do it. But it's still risky. And I just hope the USHL learns from the failures of the MLB what college football is trying to do and, you know, act on it right now. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And I think, um, you know, I, I just think in terms of your location, um, protecting your players, protecting your personnel, you just got to be so cautious right now with, with how you're going to do things. And honestly, I, I, I personally think pushing the start date, shortening the season, not a bad idea for most leagues uh, right now, just to see where you're at, just to see where we're at as a, as a, as a community, as a society. Um, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, it's, it's just a different world out there right now. And Mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, if you want to get it right, the best way to do that is to take your time, set up, make sure you've, you've got all the protocols in place the same way the NHL has the same way the NBA kind of had it with their bubble. Um, and just find a way to do it properly. Cause if you don't, all you're going to do is run into problems and, and then you got to shut down anyways. And it's, it's just not worth it. No, and I and I didn't mean to cut you off before, but you were nailing the like you were nailing uh, the point about you know games in the MLB are being canceled, like the season's still being pushed back, and they're almost halfway through their season right now with a sixteen game with a sixty game season. So it's like, at what point do you like? Was it even worth it? Teams are missing out games; they're postponing them because of this. And it's if I was a baseball player, I'd be like, well. 
like what's the what's the point of even playing right now? Yeah, I think me personally, I I just think the MLB right now is a, a bit of a debacle. Um, just in terms of canceling games and and postponing postponing other games and and you know it just I think they've created themselves more of a problem than than anything. Uh, just in terms of of keeping everybody safe. So, um, yeah, yeah, I was just about to say one thing. The USHL, I don't know how many like fans or like spectators come to the games, but I I really can't say personally what the numbers are. But if it, the outcome or like the number of people that show up is less than football, baseball, whatever, you might be able to do it and limit the capacity within the stadium or within the arena. But then again, if you want to keep it safe, just follow what the NHL is doing right now with the NBA, close it all off, just the players and coaches and staff, and then try and find some, another way to watch it, maybe a live stream or something like that. That's one way they can look at it. But yeah, it's it's always difficult when you're trying to return back, especially right now. Especially for these smaller leagues too, because you can't really do like, what the NHL would have done maybe. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, and, and just try and find like a bubble city and play all the games in a bubble city. For sure. I uh, just, it, you know, for, for smaller leagues, it just doesn't work that way. Unfortunately, it, it would be too expensive putting all the players up and, and, you know, that for, for leagues like the USHL or the OHL or something like that, they're not willing to put that money in right now because they yeah. just, they don't make that in return. So, um, and these yeah, leagues, it's, it's, it's going to be tough. Yeah. These leagues like help prep these players for the college routes. So this is the equivalent to what the OHL is right now. Um, in, or in Ontario, QMJHL in Quebec, and then the WHL, they prep them for the next level. So if they're going the college route, this helps them out great. But because right now with, Again, finances is going to be a huge issue with a league like this. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, you and I were talking. We want to try and get in our second-round picks here. Um, yes. But I, I want to push that a little bit in the show. I want to quickly note, um, because I know I'm going to get ripped for this if, if we get enough listeners on the second episode. <laughs> um, last episode, I mentioned that the last cup won by a Canadian team was in 94. That is wrong it was the rangers who won in 94 the canadians won it in in 93 that's my fault um i was just quickly spewing off information and it came out uh but i know i'm gonna get ripped if i don't if i don't touch <laughs> on that so that and then i already got a couple texts from a couple of my friends um letting me know that uh there's no such thing as apple apple tunes so <laughs> i know we just we kind of had a laugh about that at the end of the episode but i just wanted to correct myself and make sure that uh i'm doing my due diligence hey nothing's wrong with apple tunes you know um i'm not necessarily a correction but i did not remember the show that steve dangle was on that appeared when he appeared on and he made the comment about you know the issues of defense happening way before the playoffs he appeared on the good show with ben ennis and jd bunkus so not necessarily a correction but a little fumble on my part that i couldn't remember the name but i went back did my research and found that as well and you know what i wouldn't get too hard on yourself there's a lot of information that we're spewing a lot of facts that maybe we stumble over or we just misread misread and stuff like that so you know what Eh, one little one little slip of the tongue isn't gonna hurt you know oh yeah oh yeah 
just don't want to take take anything away from those 94 Rangers, you know? Definitely. Definitely. We love the 94 Rangers. <laughs> um, kind of touching on, obviously, we don't have a lot of Maple Leafs news, um, but there's been a lot of, lot of discussion around the Maple Leafs and, and offseason and trade rumors and who's coming in, who might be leaving. Um, one that I saw that I thought was very much possible and and would be a very interesting trade um not necessarily a guy that we we need in toronto but maybe you know a a possibility is is a one for one with jeremy brocco and uh jesse pulyarvi um yes and it's uh it's definitely like it's a trade that uh you know might work out for both players as you know, Jeremy Brocco's obviously voiced his his um, interest in, in being an NHL player and not having the chance as of yet to to play for the the Leafs. And then you know, a guy like Pooley who just doesn't seem happy where he is, uh, could be a fresh restart for both players. So it, it's a trade that really interests me because I think it, it it would work for both sides. It would kind of please both players. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Um. This has been a rumor or like, you know, a trade discussion that has been going on since maybe 2018. And like ever since we noticed that Puyarvi's development wasn't going as well as we thought in Edmonton. Um, I'm looking at it this way. Just make it happen so we could just stop the talk. I mean... I, I love I love the idea of like Bracco for Puyarvi because you're sw- you're switching players that need a fresh start, right? Puyarvi when he went back to Carpat last season, he had 53 points in his 56 games. That is pretty damn good. And Bracco has 145 points in 169 AHL games with 113 assists. Playmaking machine. So, so in essence, you're getting you know possibly a top six scorer for a top six playmaker. And that just seems like, you know, seems like a good deal considering that, you know, not much has been done in terms of their development. But I was also, I also did some research on it. I found an article from Mark Spector that, you know, Kenny Holland and Puyarvi's agent, Marcus Leto, um, talked about returning to play and they were added to a Zoom call with Dave Tippett in late July to try and, you know, build some interest in a return to play situation for him so he could be on the roster. And the article also goes in depth about talking about should he have to change or redefine his role as a player the way that Sam Bennett has in Calgary. I mean, he was an offensive dynamo in the OHL, but then he comes up here and he's found more of an aggressive in-your-face style of game. If that's something that Puyarvi is willing to imitate, considering his size, his stature, and his ability to, you know, put the puck in the net, I'm all for it. I mean, and with Bracco, he wasn't going to get his opportunity here. I mean, as much as I loved drafting him in the second round in 2015, too many players have passed him in the depth chart. I mean, an 18-year-old Nick Robertson is playing in the playoffs right now. There's Alexander Barbanov, who was just re-signed. There are a lot of, like, you know, European free agents that they added in. It's and even with uh, Ilya McKay of uh, last year, so you got the sense that Bracco's time is at an end, and you might as well just shop him. Yeah, I think so too. And I, in the end, I think if we look back on this trade, um, if it were to happen, 
we'd, we'd, we'd see that it might not be as relevant as, as we're getting in depth here. Um, mm-hmm. It might be something that we look back on and, and kind of shrug our shoulders at at some point. Um, that being said, I, I, I agree with you. I think Puyarvi to play in the NHL, and I think he's got interest in playing in the NHL, um, he's definitely going to have to redefine his role. I think he's he came in as as this pure goal scorer who who knows how to put the puck in the net, has mm-hmm. a wicked shot, and it just didn't work with him or work for him right off the off the hop. And I think confidence wise, it just shot his confidence. Um, I want to know how much of like you know pressure mounted up on him, possibly being that guy to play with McDavid. You know, because you're coming in and you're playing possibly with his skill set, he could have been on the wing with McDavid. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And even, even the pressure of being a, a top end pick, like he was, I mean, we don't understand the kind of pressure that goes on these guys as soon as they're picked, you know, top five and, and we're getting thrown it, thrown into the, uh, into the roster like that. And, and the expectation that comes with it. So, I mean, that along with, you know, being, like you said, being the guy to play with McDavid, I think there's, a lot of uh, a lot of pressure that goes into that, and I think you know maybe it just got to him a little bit as as a young kid. Um, Even if this is a move that doesn't make any sense, because I know the Leafs obviously you know need to address defense, but this is a low risk move that you can make. You can sign him to like a cheap one year deal, possibly after that, and because I believe he's obviously he's only twenty two, he would be a restricted free agent. You could try and like you know give like a you know prove me kind of contract and then try and bridge him after that. But it's a low risk move. You know, you're not really giving up a big asset. It's just a one for one trade places, new scenario, new surroundings, new systems. So it could work for Puglia RV. Then again, with the depth that we already have coming up, it's going to be difficult because then if he doesn't crack the roster out of training camp and then Nick Robinson makes a team, Alexander Barbanov makes a team, then he's going to go back to Finland and even if we, even if like we gave up Jeremy Bracco, doesn't really impact us that big of a deal, or it doesn't make it that big of a deal. Yeah, I know, and that's that was kind of my next question was, if if they were to make the trade like that, the expectation for Puliyarvi, I think, is that he does play on the NHL roster, and mm-hmm. at this point in time, I don't know who you move off the NHL roster to get him on it, especially with who's coming up through the system. Yeah. So I. I like I said, I think in the end, I mean, we can talk all we want about this trade. I think it's going to be an irrelevant trade if it were to happen down the road. We'd look back on it and kind of shrug our shoulders and, and, and just mention it in passing. Yeah, it would. Probably, it's basically it's, if you look at it, it's a minor league move. Yeah, hundred percent. And I mean, kind of staying on that train with with uh, trade targets and rumors. You had a piece come out recently about possible mm-hmm. guys that the the Leafs might go after in the off season. Um, you know, who, who are the top guys that you think that they should kind of make a move for or make a push for in the off season? I basically, I mean, I did a top three. I didn't want to go too far with a top four or five, uh, because I had enough information on the players that I wanted. I mean, obviously you look at Colton Pareko and Josh Manson as the top two, because they've been linked to the Leafs. For quite some time, Josh Manson for the last few seasons, Colton Pareko since the William Nylander contract saga. Um, both will bulk up, bulk up the right-hand side for sure. I mean, especially Pareko with his defensive mindset plus his ability to move the puck up with his speed. 
I mean, he skates very well for a guy his size. So that's really something that they need. Um, Manson, more of the stay-at-home kind of guy. But the thing that interested me was the fact that David Poyle, the GM for the Natural Predators, said that changes were going to come. And you look at a team like the Natural Predators, you have an abundance of defensemen that you could try and trade that isn't named Roman Yossi. And my main pick, it was Matthias Ekholm. I mean, he is a left-hand shot, but any way you can improve a defense, do it. I mean, even if it means Travis Dermott, so that way maybe you could get someone more experienced because he had his moments during the playoffs, but then when he needed to rise to the occasion, he was great, but then he didn't quite exceed expectations may making some mistakes i think maybe the pressure just got to him but at least with ekholm he's a stable two-way presence that he's had experience in the nhl making a deep playoff run going to the cup final with the preds so he's someone that i'm really interested in but there's also the fact that if you want to go right handy you could try and get ryan ellis as a big name deal and go off the boards I don't know if they're willing to move him because him and Yossi are like basically their top two guys. But that would be really interesting to see if Ryan Ellis could become a Leaf because he is he's a smaller guy, but he's a battler. Like he battles every single shift, no matter what. And he's someone that the Leafs could, you know, acquire about his services. See, when I, when you posted the uh, you posted a little poll on Twitter and, and we're asking like which which guy would you like to see the Leafs go after? Yeah. <clears throat> I was shocked to see the numbers from Matthias Ekholm. Um, yeah. Just in terms of I, I, me personally, I think that the Swede is a uh, he's an underrated defenseman, um, especially on a team like Nashville, where you know maybe he doesn't get noticed as much behind Yossi, behind Ellis, um, behind those types of players. Um, but he, you know this guy's a thirty-year-old. Okay. 196 points in 538 games. Not not your most offensive guy. That's exactly what the Leafs need. Um, a plus 71 over his career. Um, in the playoffs, he's a big-time player. 30 points in 65 games. Plus 12. You know, he's going to go out there and he's going to battle. He's going to hit. He's going he's gonna to create the physicality that, that the Leafs are missing right now on the back end. Aside from Jake Muzzin. You don't have that defensive-minded defenseman. And I think Matthias Ekholm, he does have that ability to be a two-way player, mm-hmm. but has more of a defensive mind. So he's going to be that guy that's going to stay back when you have a guy like Riley or a guy like Dermott. Um, you know, pinch and, and try and make those offensive plays. You know that you can rely on a guy like Ekholm to be back and make those plays uh, in the defensive end. So I, th- sure. I, me personally, I think he's he's a more of an underrated guy that you mentioned in your in your piece, um, mm-hmm. and and he's a guy that you know I would like to see the Leafs maybe go after, um, because I think he's he's a guy that can add that presence that that the Leafs are missing on the back end, and I I personally think he's got the ability to to be you know a two way player, I mean this is a guy who put up forty four points in eighty games last year. Yeah. So, you know, not exactly not exactly a non-essential in, ter- in terms of the offensive side, but more of a defensive-minded guy, and that's what the Leafs need. No, definitely. And you just nailed it. Like, he's a two-way guy, but his offensive presence, Mark, he's reached it four times in the last five seasons. Um, led the Predators in the regular season with uh, time on the penalty kill, 250 per game. 
and he has really good possession numbers for his career. He's a fit. He drives a when he's on the ice. His uh, course team four percentage is 53.3% for his entire career. And I think the reason why maybe he's not getting enough love, he's a left-handed shot. Maybe, like, you know, the Leafs don't need that right now. But you could try to move some pieces around. I know Jake Muzzin has played on the right side a couple times. I know Riley's played it, but he's not that comfortable or he doesn't perform as well as he does on the left. You could try and keep Ekholm on the left-hand side. And then utilize maybe Muzzin on that on that offside as well, because if anything, most of the points. If let let's say, I'm just spitballing here right now. It may sound like you know, crazy. Like oh my god, you're so dumb. Why are you even saying this? Stop talking. If you have like a second pairing of like Muzzin and Ekholm, Muzzin could be your you know, stay at stay back kind of guy, but Ekholm could be the one to rush periodically every now and then. This is probably going to be your shutdown pairing where maybe the points could come but maybe not as often as it would maybe with Riley because if I'm looking at it this way it would probably be Riley Pareko and maybe Muzzin Ellis or Muzzin Ekholm as probably your top four there's even talks about even going there's a lot of talk picking up about Leafs trying to sign Racco Gudis and I'm all for Radko Gudis right now but I mean, yeah, it may not make sense because both are left-handed shots, but, you know, anything is possible. Anything is possible. We see teams where maybe they don't go the left-hand, right-hand shot kind of thing. You want that balance, but, hey, maybe it just works out for the better. Yeah, if you can get a guy that's going to sit back and play defense and maybe he doesn't fit in on the on the right-hand side, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, you want a guy who's going to get the job done. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that means a left-handed defenseman on on our, on the right side, you know, I'd much rather have that and a guy that's going to get it done and you know be able to 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 do the job that you're you're requiring them to do rather than you know stick a right-handed guy there that's not going to get the job done. For sure, and I'm not trying to I, I'm not putting the blame on Tyson Berry for this, but it's just a shame that he didn't quite work out because I mean he's what they needed, but he's not what they needed. Right-hand shot, but he was all offense. Go, go, go. Seemed at times even under Keith, where it just didn't quite work out or you noticed that this deal wasn't, you know, all cracked up as it was made to be. And you need, you need two-way guys. You can't just think offense. You can't have a defensive pairing where it's just like all offense, 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 because you're essentially on the ice with yeah, the three can- already up. Not, sorry, I'm going to correct myself. Five forwards on the ice. You already got the three up, two back. I can't do math. But in that essence, you need defensive-minded guys, or at least guys with two-way play. Because if you're always thinking offense, it's just going to work out. You're going to lead to, like, you know, odd man rushes, breakaways. And we've seen that quite a bit with the Leafs, not just this past season. Last year, the year before that. So... If they're going after guys to or players that need to make an impact, you're looking at two-way guys right now. Yeah, no, I agree. And I going back to Ekholm for a sec, he's under contract for another two years at three point seven five million. Yes. So I that mean, was that not was over the, the top, enticing. right? Pardon? I, I was going to say not over the top in terms of his AAV uh, yep. or his cap hit. Um, a guy that could be affordable if you move the right pieces. And like I said, you've got him for another two seasons before you have to even think about re-signing him. 
Yeah. And again, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but I was just really excited at that point that you brought up because, yeah, $3.7 million for two years. If the Leafs wanted a guy with with and really good uh, average uh, value, he's your guy. He's making less than both Manson and Pareko. So, hey, what have you got to lose with a guy making $3.75 million for two more years? Concerning that majority of your cap is being taken up by your top four forwards. Riley's cap is, you know, going to be up, I, I believe, around the same time as well. So might as well get those two years uh, worth it, right? Yeah, and then you've got your decisions to make when the time comes. But at this point in time, like, you're in the, you're in the heart of your, your kind of um, peak in terms of some of the players that you have. Now's the time to make the move and, and get that, that that guy that's going to be back there pl- playing the defensive-minded game, um, being the physical presence. And can you imagine a, a penalty kill with uh, Ekholm and Muzzin as your two guys on the back end? Like that, that would to me, would be your shutdown uh, penalty kill. Nothing would be getting by if those two were on the ice. And if you have, you know, Marner and Hyman as the main forwards, Mikheyev and, you know, insert Nick Robertson if you want to, you have at least one player to go in, put pressure on the defense, one stay in the middle as that one forward back, but then you have your two defenders back. And uh, just looking at uh, cap friendly right now, Raleigh would be making $5 million for the next two seasons. So you still get good value with Riley. You still get good value with uh, Ekholm. You're going to get good value with Muzzin at 5.6 over four years. So you know what? You have some space, especially now with CC and Barry gone, to upgrade the defense. This is now the perfect time. They're they're good trade targets. They're good FA targets. It needs to happen this year. Otherwise, it's just not going to look good. Yeah, no, I I couldn't agree more. Um, obviously, not a lot of leaf talk to to get into this this episode, but. Uh, yeah. With that being said, let's uh, let's look at the playoffs that are still going on, the ones that we wish the Leafs were involved in, um, and and uh, we can discuss maybe what our picks would be. Um, obviously, the Dallas-Colorado series has already started. Game one went last night. Dallas looked fantastic against a Colorado team that got a little bit beaten up. Um, yep. But uh, we can start there if we want. Dallas up one nothing in the series. Um, as I mentioned, Colorado lost Grubauer last night. Eric Johnson also went down with an injury. He did return, but li- looked a little bit, uh, I don't want to say flaky. He just looked a little out of sorts. He wasn't, he wasn't himself. He wasn't himself. Yeah. Um, so that being said, Dallas also already has their goaltending issues. Um, Kud- Kudobin is, is right now starting for them. Bishop obviously not fit to play. Um, but that being said, Kudobin's done a heck of a job for Dallas yeah. so far. Uh, what what are your thoughts on the on this series, and uh, who would you, who do you see moving on? Um, well, I initially had Colorado in six, um, but then again, I am six, so my opinion and analysis really doesn't matter. But um, honestly. Kudobin has been lights out. I honestly thought that goaltending would be an issue for Dallas, considering that they, throughout the even regular season, and even in the past, they would go back and forth between Kudobin and Bishop. But he's just he's just killing it right now. He's the, he's the last line of defense, and he's making some big-time saves, keeping Dallas in the game. And 
especially on a Colorado team where you have Rantanen, Mikko Rantanen, Gabriel Landeskog, Nazem Kadri, and Nathan McKinnon. Yeah, you're going to have to rely on your goalie a lot because McKinnon had two really good goals yesterday. And yeah, it's going to be really difficult going on or going forward right now for Dallas. But hey, I mean, their big players are starting to step up. Radulov scored a couple goals. Uh, Tyler Sagan got his first. Their big players are starting to emerge. But the big players for Colorado, that's going to be another issue for Dallas to defend against. Um, but yeah, I have Colorado in six. And it's kind of funny because um, I, I just saw a clip from Jerry D this morning where he posted a scene from a show, Mr. D, and he's basically giving Nathan McKinnon a talk about like, hey, why are you doing hockey? You got to think more about your career. I was a hockey player. I went up, went up, okay. Then I stopped. I became a teacher, $48,000 a year. What are you going to do with your life? And he's giving him the talk about like how hockey players, or he's not going to make it as a hockey player. But that scene from that episode with Nathan McKinnon, Basically, it just shows that, or even Jerry D is just saying, maybe Nathan McKinnon was onto something with this hockey thing, because he's just been, if, if they're going to have to push through or, like, you know, get by Dallas' uh, goaltending, he's going to be your guy to lead the charge. Yeah, I think I'm I'm in the same spot as you. I, I would love to say Dallas having them up one nothing right now, but that being said, I've seen Dallas collapse in the playoffs far too many times. And the problem with Dallas is they're going to give their they're going to give their opponents enough power play time to to really change the out, outcome of, of games for the, themselves. And I think Colorado with that power play that they have, you know, you got McCarr on the back end. You like you said, yeah. you have Ranton and Landeskog, um, Kadri in in front of the net, uh, McKinnon. I, I just think they're so unbeatable in terms of their on paper offense. Um, <clears throat> I just I can't see I, this for me. Call this was Colorado's year coming out of the West. I honestly yeah. just saw them from from the get go. They just had so much talent. They brought on uh, Kadri uh, to add to their power play to add that third line, second line type of presence. Um, <clears throat> and even with Frank Kuz maybe taking taking the net over from Grubauer moving forward, he's he's shown an ability to get things done this season as well. And I think mm-hmm. that. You know, knowing he's going to be the number one, obviously Michael Hutchinson is uh, is backing him up. Um, you know, Frank, who's knowing he's going to be number one, might give him that kind of positivity to to get things done in the net for Colorado. And I just I don't see Dallas overcoming um, their own woes that they create for themselves, especially against a team like Colorado. So I, I'm going to say Colorado in six as well. Um you know, I I just think on paper and and what they've been able to show so far in the playoffs, they're just yeah. a better team. I mean, you know, <clears throat> on the point, especially with their power play, almost clicking at thirty percent in nine games. Yeah, so, it's just it's unheard of. Yeah, <clears throat> don't take penalties against Colorado because they will hurt you. That's yeah, that, that's a that's an <laughs> understatement. Um, staying in the West, we've got uh, Vegas and. Uh, Vancouver. Um, obviously, Vancouver is the only Canadian team left in the playoffs. Uh, I've seen so many questions on online about, you know, is is Vancouver Canada's team now, or are all Canadians going to be cheering for Vancouver? And 
Um, obviously, there's a little bit of controversy going on in, in Vegas with Marc-Andre Fleury and his agent tweeting out a picture of him with a knife through his back. Uh, that yeah. gives me the belief that Laner is going to be the go-to guy for this series. Um, what, are, what are your thoughts on, the, on this series uh, as we head into Game 1, I believe, goes tonight? Well, much like everyone else's reaction yesterday, I did not... I was you know, that image to show up. I mean, yeah, I mean, you're a, you're an agent. You want to have the best interest for your players. But holy crap, that was unexpected. And a little, you know, a little subtle jab towards Pete the, Pete the Boar there. But, I mean, I have Vegas in six, mainly because if Robin Lander's in the net, it if he's a starter going forward, he's a starter going forward. Simple as that. I mean, just... The forward depth of Vegas and how they roll all four lines, I think, could be the difference maker. And you know what? They're D. Yeah, they jump into the offense, but they are so well, even if their defense does jump into the rush, they are so well equipped to have someone cover, whether it's a forward or another defenseman, the other defenseman on the other side. It's it's looking good for Vegas and I'm not trying to throw Col- uh, Colorado Vancouver under the bus because they surprised me with their play against St. Louis. I think they could give them a fight, but it's still, I still have Vegas. I mean, there's, there's no other way around it. I'm going to go the other way on this one. Um, originally I would say that I had Vegas and I completely agree with everything that you said. I think that the four depth for Vegas is just Unreal in terms of what they've been able to put together with you know Stone, Pacioretty, Marcheseau, Carlson, you name it. They've got they've got so much depth up front. I just think like and and I think the mentality of them. Obviously, they want to try and push what happened yesterday under the rug. They don't want to. They don't want to. You know, they're, they're, mm-hmm. they'll have their meeting about it. They'll talk about it. What have you? I just think it's going to create this little stir in the room and there's going to be a little bit of unsettled, um, unsettled minds in the room. Um, and I think Vancouver, Vancouver has been underrated the, the entire season For from sure. the get go. I don't think anybody expected Vancouver to be a playoff team. They, they, they exceeded expectations. Uh, Jacob Markstrom exceeded expectations. Um, I'd be willing to go on, on record and say like, I think Markstrom this season has shown that he's maybe an underrated starter in, in the NHL. Um, what he's been able to do for the team, uh, he's come up with some incredible saves so far in this playoff push. I think this is going to go seven. I, I think this is going to go seven. I think Vancouver comes out on the winning end. No, that's not me saying that Vancouver's Canada's team. I'm just, I just have this feeling that Vancouver has the ability to get past any team right now. Maybe not Colorado, but, they, they, they've shown that, you know, they, they have that resilience. They have the phenom in Quinn Hughes, who has been unbelievable this playoffs, yeah. unbelievable all season long. Um, the leadership of Bo Horvat, a guy who might be might be more quiet than um, uh, Jonathan Taves, but willing to go out there and speak volumes on the ice. Uh, Elias Pettersson, who I don't think has even got going so far in these playoffs. Brock Besser, who again hasn't really done what he's capable of in these playoffs. Mm-hmm. You get all these guys going at the same time. And this team is definitely, definitely capable of beating a, a team like uh, a Vegas, um, especially with that kind of unsettledness in the, in the dressing room. 
I think this is going to be a great series. It's going to be very physical. I, uh, but I do see Vancouver coming out in seven. No, that's that's great. I mean, if you're looking at it from like a mental or like you know a psychological perspective, there's more on the line for Vegas because they're the they were like the first place team, right? So. Vancouver doesn't really have anything to lose. They're going to go in. They're going to play their game. They're going to do what made them successful against St. Louis. All the pressure would be on probably Vegas to try and live up to those expectations, knowing that, you know, you got a solid foundation up front. You got great defense. You got a solid goalie tandem, despite the issue that's lingering right now with the animosity with Flurry and everybody else. But I could see why you would pick Vancouver in this situation because they, they're – they're the underdogs, basically, and everybody loves a good underdog story. If they're going to be like, oh, why not us? Why can't it be us, right? Oh, yeah, and I, like, just, you have to think, the mentality of, of if you're flurry right now, you're looking at your agent saying, why right now? Why yeah. right now, out of any time, before we go into round two, are you putting a picture like that out on the internet? You yeah. know, it, that those things don't just go away. Even if he had posted it for 30 seconds and taken it down, those things don't go away. Somebody's captured it out there. Somebody knows about it, and it's going to get around. Yeah. And if you're flurry, man, what what a what a kick to the groin ahead of ahead of uh, round two, and, and you know you've got your teammates that you have to kind of go and defend yourself because the questions become, what did you say to your agent? Yeah. You know. And, and he might not have said anything. This this could be as simple as, like you said, his agent standing up for his player, which I totally respect. But at, at a certain point, you know, you got to let the player do the speaking for himself. Forget forget being that guy that wants to go out there and and you know voice his opinion. This is you're you're in the midst of a playoff run, and you're going to put something like that out there. I think that just it, it drives players nuts. It drives team nuts and you know as far as i'm concerned i think it was the worst possible move that alan walsh could have done oh absolutely but from a comical standpoint dmitry filipovich basically zoomed in on the DeBoer name on the sword and he's basically comparing it to you know the heart's bane the long claw from game of thrones yeah. oath keeper from kingdom hearts <laughs> That, that 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 to me it got my nerdy side going so i'm just like okay you know what that was pretty funny but un- overall it's still you know a very serious situation of what's happening right now because hey i mean if i was a player and my agent did that i'm like i would probably just say hey see ya i don't yeah. need that um i'm trying to like you know help my team win a cup like you said and it's just it, it's this unnecessary attention that you need, especially right now, considering we're halfway through the Stanley Cup playoffs. And it's not the first time we've seen Flurry step aside to help his team win a cup. For so, sure. I mean, if at this at this point you just say, okay, you suck it up, and at the end of the season, if you want to deal with it, that, that then you deal with it at the end of the season. I think from the outside, hell yeah, we can laugh at it. I think it's yeah. hilarious. I think it was awesome. It was great for for you for for me for anybody in the in the media side of things i think it was fantastic i think for flurry and the vegas golden knights i think it's gonna hurt i really oh, do definitely. definitely no no argument right there moving over to the east we have a battle of probably two of the more dominant teams over the past five six years 
in Boston and Tampa Bay. Um, yes. Obviously, Tampa still dealing with some injuries. Uh, Steven Stamkos, um, not sure how healthy Hedman is after twisting his ankle a couple games ago, uh, but he was out there again um, when they uh, when they beat Columbus. So mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think I think that could uh, definitely play a part in in the series if it goes uh, goes the distance. Uh, in terms of Boston, we talked about it. Tuke is gone. Uh, Pasternak kind of playing. I don't know if he's a hundred percent, but they've they've shown resilience throughout the years in terms of getting things done as a team, as a four line group. Um, to, no matter who's who's playing for them, uh, and I think they have a have a decent starter in Yara Halak as well. So yeah, for me, I'm gonna I'm gonna take Boston in six. Um, I think again, like I said, they just they just have the ability to get it done. Tampa, I think they're getting there. Um, I think they know what they need to get done. Uh, I just don't think they're quite there yet. Braden Point's only what in his second year, still phenomenal player. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's going to take you know a full team effort. And right now they're not a full team. They don't have Stamkos. He's he's a key player in their in their cog that runs the ship. And um, you know it's going to hurt not having him in the lineup when you're playing a physical physical game against a team like Boston. So for me, it's it's Boston and six. See, like the Vegas, uh, Vegas, Vancouver. I'm going the other way. I'm I'm saying Tampa and seven. And I agree with what you're saying about you know Boston being you know the more experienced team, Tampa having their issues and everything like that. But their depth, I think, rivals that of Boston. They're, yeah, you're missing Stamkos up front, but their forward units have been clicking, especially the bottom six uh, forward units. And Blake Coleman, uh, Barkley Goudreau, Cedric Paquette, Alex Kalorn, all the deaf guys, like maybe not, maybe not the points are coming in as great as they thought they would, but they're still having an impact on the forecheck. And I think that might be, I mean, because the Bruins emulate the same type of play style. And I think that, Tampa matched that for possibly a matchup with Boston in the playoffs. Obviously, ahead of time, we didn't know what the outcomes were going to be. But if Tampa did face Boston at some point, it would probably be for this scenario. They bulked up. And I think you you just can't. Um, you can't credit out Andre Vasilevsky, even though he's had some shaky moments. Right now, he's got two game winning goals in overtime against Columbus, it's something that you just can't ignore. So I'm saying Tampa and seven. I like it. I like it. Uh, I, I do agree with you. I think there's a lot of depth in Tampa Bay. Um, I think, you know, they've got a younger, younger group and, and, you know, it's, it's definitely going to be a good series. And I think I like what you said with it going seven. I think that's going to be the best thing for this, uh, this playoffs is having the, teams like that go seven create that rivalry and uh, sure. it'll be it'll be interesting to see who comes out on the other side and how battered and bruised they are once they're done this series is one to pay attention to because there are question marks on both sides yeah yeah the bruins are out rask tampa's out stamkos Pasternak hasn't been 100 percent. headman hasn't been 100 percent. but the difference is are, are not even so much a difference but you got bergeron and marshawn clicking together you got point and kucherov clicking together you have those storylines and it's an even battle right now i think it could come down to just one 
one simple mistake in the final game is going to cost somebody, and that's going to be the difference maker. That's why I said it's going to go to distance. Perfect. Um, the other series, obviously Philadelphia against the New York Islanders. Um, the Islanders have been unbelievable so far this uh, this playoff. Again, another team that coached by Barry Trotz found a way to get it done, became less of an offensive-minded uh, team. Uh, even guys like Matt Barzell are buying into the system that uh, Trotz has brought. Obviously, Trotz's system is a proven um, Stanley Cup winner. Um, you know, but uh, for me, I think it's going to come down to the goaltending. I think Varlamov's a great goaltender. I don't think he's going to get it done over a guy like Carter Hart. And I know Carter Hart's so young, and in terms of goaltending, you know, the younger isn't always a great thing. Normally you want to develop your goaltenders, but this kid has it rolling. He is unbelievable. Um, I think the the lines in Philly are getting it done. You know, the, the, the um, Hayes Konechny line, um, you've got Couturier playing with Giroux, uh, Voracek's in there. Um, you've got uh, Provorov on D who's just flying out there. I mean, this kid's got wheels. It's just unbelievable yeah. to watch him watch or watch him play. Sorry. Um, but I, me personally, I think Philly in six, I think, um, Carter Hart's going to get it done. He seems to bounce back after he has a rough outing. And, uh, for me, that's, that shows the resilience that you need as goaltender to, to really steal games for your team. And when it comes to playoffs, you need your goaltender to do that every once in a while. So for me, it's Philly in six. Uh, this is the third team or third game where we disagree. I have the Islanders in six. Um, I agree with what you're saying. I, I agree 100% with all lines clicking. And I even think Travis Sanheim has emerged as, you know, a really good offensive contributor for the Flyers. Don't get me wrong. I do think Carter Hart is brilliant. He's been the backbone for the team, which is where they're at right now. But I think the Islanders can expose his weakness, which is his glove hand. I saw a graphic yesterday or the day before where they were analyzing Carter Hart's uh, game. And most of the goals that were scored, I'm not sure if it was just against Montreal or in the whole entire playoffs. I'm pretty sure it was Montreal where most of the goals have gone glove side. And if there's a team that could expose that weakness, it's a team like the Islanders. May not have as many offensive weapons up front, but Barzell and especially Anthony Beauvillier is their MVP early on right now. This guy is scoring and being an offensive powerhouse whenever he's in the offensive zone and the puck is on a stick, he wants to make something happen. And even like on the back end, someone like Ryan Pollock, he's been a really good contributor during these playoffs. I know there that's only two guys and you can't, you know, compare them to what Philly has because they got depth all the way around. But that gritty in your face style that the Islanders play with has gone unnoticed. I've counted them out twice during the postseason, in the round robin and that, and in the first round, I don't want to go. Th- I don't want to be on my third strike. I'm going to pick them to win it, and I know I may get a lot of flag because of the whole Toronto Tavares Islanders thing. I'm picking them because I think they can do it. I think I honestly I think it's a great pick. I think you know both both series on the East side. Um, they're they're tough series to pick. I, I love Definitely. your pick. Um, that said, I'm gonna like I said, I'm gonna stick with Carter Hart uh, and say Philly in six, and like you said, three that we are, are not agreeing on in round two, but it'll be fun to watch and see who comes out on on each side. For sure, 
And, it, and, it, and that's the whole thing about playoffs, right? You, everybody has their own opinions on who they think should win, but it all comes down to execution. I mean, we can pick all we want. It's going to be fun because too many times during this postseason, I've gone with, you know, somewhat of the better team that I think should win. And it hurt me. And I'm just going with the better team right now. And I think that's the Islanders. Because there are moments against Montreal where the Flyers didn't look so great. And I don't know if that's just Montreal, um, you know, finally coming together or Philadelphia just sort of like, you know, taking Montreal for granted. So I don't know. Again, I think the games in the East are going to be far more entertaining and it could go either way. I love it. I love it. Perfect. Um, I think that's all we have, Peter, for this episode. Uh, we do have a quarantine question. I want to touch on last week's question. We threw a poll out there. Uh, JT Miller's goal, was it offside or not? Even our listeners couldn't decide. The poll finished 50-50. Some agree that it was offside. Some agree that it wasn't offside. <laughs> I think that just goes to show you where the gray area is in the NHL right now and what needs to be fixed because obviously nobody knows what uh, what the rule should be in terms of what an offside is leading yeah. to a goal. So I think you know that's a perfect example of what we talked about last week. Um, going off of that, our quarantine question for this week, you asked it, is Kadri yep. playing this, the way he is under Keefe? If he stayed with the Leafs, if he was in blue and white this season and had the chance to play under a guy like Sheldon Keefe, the way he does with Bednar in, uh, in uh, Colorado, is he playing to the same kind of capacity that he is with Colorado? Got his first penalty last night of the playoffs. This is a changed man, if you ask me. Yeah, He's still frustrating for opposing, opposing players. He still plays a hard-nosed game, but he's not teetering that line the same way that he did when he was with uh, Toronto under Babcock. Babcock was an old-school mentality. Where does Kadri fill in, in when playing under a guy like Sheldon Keefe? Would he be sort of the same type of player that he is right now for Colorado? That's our quarantine question. Yeah. Have your say. We'll throw a poll out there. Um we want to know what your thoughts are. Um, other than that, Peter, what do you have coming for, for the hockey writers? Uh, what, what are your thoughts? What moving forward in the, in this playoff, what do you want to say to our listeners? Um, I think right now, uh, I got something for our draft content coming up. I got a draft profile for a defenseman. I'm not going to say who I would let, you guys go in check it out because i think he would be a really really good depth addition to any team that's looking for a really solid defensive d-man other than that um i got some ideas muddling around in my brain haven't narrowed it down just yet but i got some things in the works and hopefully i could get to it as soon as possible how about you andrew I will. I'm. Well, I'm looking to expand my my coverage of uh, women's hockey right now. So I am actually Excellent. writing a historical piece on um, the history of the women's game, mm-hmm. um, how it came to fruition, how it was. I mean, delving into this, it's crazy to look back on where the game started for for the women's side. Um, it's got a much deeper history than I think anybody really knows. Um, and I want to talk a little bit more about the NWHL and its expansion into Toronto and, um, you know, going into its sixth season. I think it's a great league for the for, for the women. I think we should expand it. I think we should drive, um, you know, f- 
fandom in in women's hockey and and try and push these uh, push these ladies to to a point where, you know, um, they're they're receiving the same recognition that uh, that the NHL gets. I think the, the the women's game is phenomenal. If you ever watch a game, it's 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 great uh, great hockey. Um, there's a lot of rivalry in terms of these players. Um, but yeah, it's just a great game. So I'm working on a historical piece. Uh, hopefully have that out soon. And, uh, then like you, Peter, I've, uh, I'm going to be working on a little bit of draft coverage. I haven't released my final rankings. Unlike most in the industry, they've already <laughs> released their final rankings. Um, I kind of sat on it. Uh, I still have two months to kind of go before the, the draft happens. And, uh, I wanted to to be sort of separated from everybody else in terms of getting mine out there, and and uh, I've had a lot of requests in terms of getting mine out, my final rankings out there. So that'll be out there soon. Um, you still have time. I still have time, and uh, now that we know where everybody's picking, that might impact where my rankings are. Um, but yeah, you can see all of that on the hockey writers, both from Peter and myself. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Andrew G Forbes. Um, or like I said, you can find it on, uh, on Twitter or on, uh, the hockey writers, Peter, where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, you could find me at P B A R A C C H. I'm not going to bother pronouncing it because yeah, it's, it's, I get three different pronunciations every single time someone tries to say it, but you know what? You can follow me on there. Have a guess on how the pronunciation works out. Depends on if you want to get it right or wrong. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter at Sticks in the Six Pod. That's S T I X I N T H E, the number six I X P O D. Sticks in the Six Pod on Twitter. We are also on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Amazon Podcast, Amazon Music. So have a listen, hit that follow button, hit that subscribe button. Find us on Instagram, find us on our Facebook page. Um, you know, we're really looking to expand. Peter and I have reached out. We are going to hopefully have some guests on for next episode. Um, and moving forward, we're looking to have uh, guests on. Um, you know, we've got some draft coverage for for uh, in terms of the guests. Uh, and, uh, you know, a little OHL draft pick um, that uh, I'd like to lead into for hopefully next episode. We'll see where we're at. But, uh, Peter, another great episode. Um, always a pleasure. Um, Absolutely. And looking forward to seeing where these playoffs go. It's 2020. Anything can happen. Even when you expect the expected, expect the unexpected, because it's just been a whirlwind year right now, even in sports. There you go. You said it, Peter. And uh, again, have a great night, everyone. Hopefully you enjoy the episode, and we will talk to you next week. See you all next week.